theyeshiva.net. So we're in the middle of the Maimur Hechaltzu, Tofresh Nun Tess, by the Rebbe Rashab, and we're holding Se'if Yud Beis, page Reish Lamedalad. So after a whole long discussion about unity versus disunity, peace versus strife, connection versus disassociation and disconnection, and the various causes for it. So he now continues to go yet to a deeper layer. Generally, in serving Hashem, there's two different streams, two different models, or two different types, categories. Ha'alaf is avayda besimcha. One element of avayda Hashem, the first one is, with a sense of joy, ecstasy. Vahainu. What brings this type of avayda? Kshamaskilum is bainan heitiv begdulas Hashem. When a person learns and understands and contemplates, meditates on Gedulah Hashem, Gedulah Hashem means the infinity, the infinite reality of Hashem, which is always connected to the person because it's infinite. So it's in you, it's part of you, it's who you are. That produces, the result of that is, there's a positivity in a person's life. And there's a positivity in a person's Avedis Hashem. You experience the closeness, the intimacy, the oneness. And he speaks more specifically. Whether it's when you focus, even just on crea- the creation. And the creation is called Yeshmeyayin, something from nothing. The Levadza is much a etzim inyan briya yeshmayin o inyan nifla. She'ein la adam shum tzir al zeklal commission is First of all, just focusing on the etzim briya, the, the fact not to take the world for granted, not to take your body for granted, not to take life for granted, not to take existence for granted, to appreciate just the etzim inyan of briya yeshmayin, what happened with creation. He said, it's nifla, it's, it's something extraordinary. We don't even have a tzir for it, we don't have a firm, because we don't have an example for it. It's so beyond, we have metaphors for a lot of things, we all create things, we all develop things, but nothing even comes close to the nekuda of a bria, of a creation, yesh meyayin, the way the world happened, and continues to happen. Like we say, But sometimes a thing could be right in front of your eyes, but you don't notice it, Yeah. Spoke of Shabbos about breathing, for example, right? We all breathe, and we don't stop breathing, Baruch Hashem. <laughs> it's essential to life. But how many people focus on it? How many people notice it? You take it of course, you inhale and you exhale. But there's a whole, the whole system of thought that actually focuses on a person's breath. It says in Medrash, Koylan Neshama, Tahalal Yutke, the end of Tehillim, every soul praises Hashem. So the Madras says, I'll call Neshimo Neshima. Each breath really warrants another halal, another form of praise. Call Neshima, Neshama is Neshima. Neshama means soul, but it comes to the word breath, Neshima. Vayipach ba'apov nishma schayim, a breath of life. So call Neshima, really every breath is, is, is something special. Every breath, the whole mechanism, 
every nekuda in creation and the the very the very experience of creation. Mm-hmm. Somebody once came to his mentor and he said he's very lonely. He said, "Why are you so lonely?" He said, "There's nobody in the world who thinks about me. Nobody. I'm completely isolated, alone in my pain, alone in my isolation. Nobody and nothing even thinks about me." So he says, "Wait, wait, 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 wait. Before we go further, you have approximately 150 billion white blood cells, and if there's even a scratch on your finger." Right, if you take a microscope and see what happens, a scratch in your finger, billions of white blood cells rush over to the place of the emergency to see what they can do. And 24 hours a day, they stand on guard. It's like a police force, but it's the most developed police force in the world. It's the most developed military in the world. The white blood cells, their job is to protect you from bacteria, from infections, from toxins, from viruses, from any invader that comes in inside or outside to make trouble in the body. And they all rush in the billions, and they're organized. Who does what? Don't say nobody nobody thinks about you. There's billions of little people that 24 hours a day, they don't stop thinking about you. Every nekudah in the Bria is another pella. And then you talk about the etzem Bria, yeshmeayin, the etzem Bria, yeshmeayin, he says that itself is is extraordinary. Oidzais, yeshbazeplayas. If you get more intricate, Yeshbaza Ployas, this extraordinary Ployas, Ployas means wonders. On one hand, the creation, something from nothing, so the creator and the created experience each other in a, in a state that's called Rikhokarech. Rikhokarech means that the Yesh does not feel or sense the Ayin. Because he wouldn't be able to be a yesh. He's going to explain this. In works of Jewish philosophy, there's two terms, ilava alul and yeshmeyayin. Ilava alul means ila is a cause and alul is an effect. And the alul comes from the ila. For example, an apple tree from an apple seed. The seed is called the ila. You plant the seed and that develops into the alul, which is the apple tree and everything that comes with the tree. Everything in our world has an ila. I come from my mother and my father. There's the egg, pollinated by the seed, and that creates an embryo, a fetus. So the fetus is the alu, and the egg of mommy, the seed of tati, is the ila. The same is true everything in the world. This table wasn't created in a vacuum. This table is a result from what we call an antecedent. That's called the ila, and the offspring, the child the creation of the ill is called the Allah. Then there's something called Briya Yeshmeyayin. Briya Yeshmeyayin is very different. Briya Yeshmeyayin means something from nothing. Why is it called from nothing? The creator is not nothing. The answer is because the Yesh doesn't experience itself as an evolution. Ill of Allah essentially is evolutionary. The Allah comes from the ill, it emerges from the ill. But when it says yesh mayayin, something from nothing, yeah. the yesh doesn't identify its source. It doesn't identify its mucker. The perspective of the yesh, where do I come from? It's nothing. The yesh doesn't see itself as a development of its source. The source is completely eclipsed, completely concealed. Yeah. If you'll ask the rock, who made you? Uh, as far as I'm concerned, I was always here. Even a person. 
I know that I have come from a father and a mother, but yesh meyayin, the yesh doesn't identify that it's a development from the ayin. So it calls it ayin. It's like it doesn't exist in my world. He says, the flow is close. The ilah is manifested, it's enclosed in the alul, and therefore the alul feels, it experiences the antecedent, the source of it. And that's why the two are always relative to each other. They're never completely remote. From the seed of an apple tree, you're never going to have an orange tree. <laughs> and from the egg of a human being, you're not going to have a horse. And from the egg of a horse, you're not going to have a hippopotamus or a rhinoceros. Why? Because the alul is a reflection of the ilah. It's a continuum of the ilah. The ilah comes into the alul, and the alul mirrors and reflects the alul, and therefore there's a closeness between them. It's a continuation. Hashem is the ultimate ilah, but it's called yeshmeayin, something from nothing. That which is created does not mirror and reflect and say, I am divine. It's be'enarech. Be'enarech means completely in a way that you don't experience in the bria, the bayreh. So even though there's a hashpa, there's a flow, just like the ila creates the alul, the ayin is the source for the yesh, but it's a b'chines richo ka'erech. There's a sense of infinite remoteness. The body, the creator, is concealed in the created being. It's not manifested and enclosed and expressed in a revealed conscious way like the alul in the ilah. The apple tree, it's very clear where it comes from. The table, it's true something where it comes from. Any silver candelabra, silver goblet, it comes from the silver. And the silver... It, Everything has its illa. And you can identify. You can say, this illa comes from this illa, which comes from this illa, and you can always trace it back. In other words, there's a transition, and it's relative. It's a clear evolution from level to level to level. Yesh is like a complete gulf. Even though the entire existence of the yesh only comes from the ayin. So why is it called ayin? Because in the world of the yesh, there's no reference to the ayin. It's like there's an infinite gulf in this hashpa, the hashpa is in a way that the source is completely concealed. In our world, yeah, you could walk around and be an atheist and get a Nobel Prize. Right? You could consider yourself a very intelligent person. You could be praised by your colleague scientists. Why? Because the yesh, if you use your mind open, unbiased, there's proofs. But in the experience of the yesh, the intuition of the yesh, you don't sense you don't identify its divine source. The nefesh is, is, is from the world of the ayin, yeah? It's the nefesh In the chanami, it's the nefesh a person experiences. But we're saying it's the yesh, the physical yesh of the world. Its, its experience is completely remote, infinitely remote, what's called Richo Ka'erech from the Makar. Because the Boire is, is, is concealed in the Nivra. By Al Ilah and Alul, he says the Alul is Margish the Ilah. The Alul feels the Ilah. The Yesh 
doesn't experience the ayin. It's counterintuitive. Intuitively, the yeshes kanim tzekanayim. It's an expression that this world feels its existence comes from itself. You need a proofs, and you could bring proofs. There's a lot of proofs. But the experience of the yesh is that it's yesh. V'gam, but there's something else. You need to say that the divine energy that creates the world is always inside the created being. And that's why it's a yesh. If the divine energy would depart from it, wouldn't have a relationship with it, it would revert to naught and nothingness. Because the reality of the yesh is something new. And anything that's really new, you have to constantly renew it, because if not, the new reality is going to revert back to its natural state. The natural state of nothingness is nothingness. In nothingness, you don't have the potentiality for somethingness. So if you're creating something completely new, so what happens? You have to keep on creating it, because if you don't keep on creating it, it's going to revert back to its natural reality. What's its natural reality? I in nothingness. So therefore, the moment there is no hischachas, there's no newness, it goes back to ayin v'efes. So it has to be recreated every single moment because it's something from nothing. If it would really exist on its own, so you don't have to recreate it. You can reveal it. But since it's yesh ayin mamish, so therefore, if you cease creating it for one moment, it goes back to its default mode. Its default mode is ayin. He says, You can't compare this to ilavalu. For example, if a carpenter takes a piece of wood and turns it into a table, he doesn't have to recreate the table. An artist takes colors, pigment, canvas, makes a painting. He doesn't have to recreate it. Even after he's gone, the painting hangs on the wall and people can enjoy it hundreds or even thousands of years later. Just as they can a piece of... uh, a piece of carpentry, the same is true with a goldsmith or a silversmith. Why? That's all ilava Allah. Because he wasn't mechadr something, he didn't create yesh me'ayin. The carpenter took wood. Wood has the potential to be shaped in many different shapes. And he brought out one shape. But that's not something that's yesh me'ayin, something from nothing. He brought out a pre-existing potential. So therefore, even after the one who created it, who created this table is gone, it still exists, because it exists independent of the Creator. That's Ilava Allah. The Ila revealed the potential that exists inside of it to bring out the Allah. The original seed that created the apple tree, the seed can be gone, the apple tree is here. Because microscopically, that seed has the whole potential of the apple tree. It just has to be developed. The same is true with every Ilava Allah. Even after the Ila is gone, and it's not recreating the Allah, the Allah still exists because it has an independent existence, even though it needed it needed the source to bring it out, to, to bring out its potential. Yeshmeyayin is different. Yeshmeyayin, the, the ayin didn't bring out something pre-existing. It's a new creation. It's a davar chadash. It's a new creation. On its own, it's ayin, it's nothingness. So why is it here? It's here because the Baide brought it into being. 
The moment he doesn't bring it into being, it goes back to what it is. What is it? It's nothing. So therefore, it needs to be recreated every single moment, unlike Ilaval. Yeah, a muscle for this, not a perfect muscle. I once gave it to you. But, but an imperfect metaphor is, yeah. When a person is daydreaming, you remember I gave you a metaphor, a person is daydreaming. You're sitting in a class, not this class, but you're sitting in a class, <laughs> and you're a little bored. So what do you do? So the Rebbeinu Shalalim gave us a beautiful mechanism, especially people who spent many years in yeshiva. They have it really, they really fine-tuned their skills or you spent many years in sermons, especially you had a front seat, so you really had to fine-tune your skills because you couldn't play with anything. It's called daydreaming. And daydreams are very interesting, right? You can really go on a beautiful journey in your daydream. And if the class goes for very long, your daydream skills become refined even more. And you go on journeys and you can do things, you can build companies and destroy companies, you can travel the world, you can meet people, you can go back in history, you can go to the future, back to the future. Wudavilst, you can shop, and the mileage, you don't have to pay for anything. You could go first class, you don't have to pay. Everything is for free. And it's very real. In your mind, while you're daydreaming, it's as real as it gets. You see the people, you can even feel emotions associated with people, right? You can get angry in your daydream at people. You can get jealous, you can get upset, right? You have full conversation, you, know, you guys know, yeah? Nobody daydreams here? Huh? Because that's by the you didn't daydream, huh? In the mirror. Okay? Parach Hashem. Uh, not everybody had such a Rosh Hashiva. What? It's too early in the morning. So, uh, right? And, and you could be with, with thousands of people. And, and, and you almost see them and everything. And then the class is over. <laughs> and you wake up from the daydream. And all the characters are gone. <laughs> the question is, what happened to them? Why are they gone? <laughs> Where are they? You were in a stadium with 40,000 people. You saw them eating hot dogs with sauerkraut, kosher too. Galat kosher, what happened to them? You could have been in an auditorium with 5,000 people, right? You even hear their applause. What happened to them? They're all gone. Nobody's here. So it's a funny question, right? Because what does it mean they were here? They were here. What's the definition of a daydream? The definition of their existence was... Your thoughts of them. That was the definition. It's not like they exist independently of you and you were thinking about them. If, I th- if I'm thinking about you, even if I stop thinking about you, you still exist. At least let's hope so. Why? Because nobody's going to say the definition of your existence is me thinking about you. Unless I'm a real narcissist. The definition of your existence is your existence, not me thinking about you. Which is very helpful in relationships. To know that the definition of your existence is not me thinking about you. The definition is your existence. I could think about you. So I have to actually tune into your existence. But in the daydream, it's the opposite. The definition of their existence is what? My brain waves. <laughs> my neurons firing. That's, the, that's their existence. They don't have another existence outside of my thoughts. So when I stop thinking about them, what happens to them? They cease to exist. Why? Where are they? And the answer is, they're exactly where they were. The definition of their existence. Let's put it this way. The material that they're made up of. <laughs> what's the material they're made up of? My machshavas, my thoughts, my consciousness. There's no consciousness, there's no people. If somebody is standing in front of a mirror and there's a beautiful reflection in the mirror, such a handsome person. And then you walk away and you say, what happened? You were just in the mirror. <laughs> what happened? 
The answer is you weren't in the mirror. You were reflected in the mirror. You go away, what do you want the mirror should reflect? It's not like the mirror had you inside of it. The mirror mirrored you. As long as you're standing in front of the mirror, it's mirroring you. The moment you go away from the mirror, nothing is left in the mirror because there was nothing in the mirror but your reflection. There was nothing to the people in the daydream but you reflecting on them. In other words, there's something from nothing. (laughs) There's something from nothing. Or nothing from something, yeah. My thoughts are amazing. My thoughts created them. As long as you're daydreaming, they're here. And they're here in their full splendor and glory. And that's why it's not a good mashal. It's not really Yeshmeyayin. <laughs> because all the people I think about, it's all images of realities that I already understood, that I know about. Your daydreams are attaching themselves to realities that you're familiar with. Emotions you're familiar with, people you're familiar with. It's not a, that's why I said it's, it's a far from a perfect example. On another level, on the opposite, it's also not a yesh. <laughs> you can't touch these people. When you talk about our world, but it, it's a shtickle metaphor to say, he says, if Hashem stops creating the world every moment, it goes back to nothingness. Why? And the answer is because the definition of their existence is what? The divine creation of it. The physicality is really an articulation of divine consciousness. Every nekudah in the world needs a chayis from Hashem every moment. No, the yeshme yayin is from ayin. Right, so that, that, all of that, the tree and therefore the table needs to be recreated, yeshme yayin. Everything. That's why we say, So really, in, in the deepest levels of reality, and physics is getting closer and closer, the world is divine energy. The yesh is an articulation of divine energy, that's what it is. But it's articulated in a way that our eyes perceive it as physical reality, and you could completely deny the Creator. That's how remote it is. So on one hand, you have the ultimate remoteness, and on the other hand, you have the ultimate closeness. That's the paradox. The ultimate remoteness because the world completely perceives itself as separate. On the other hand, there's nothing outside of the body in the world. In fact, everything is Yeshmeyayin. Right, but in Ila Alul, the Ila brings out a pre-existing potential, so the Alul doesn't need the Ila anymore. The artist doesn't have to stand there and recreate the piece of art. Yeah, but the materials, the, the, the essence of, of, of what is made of... That, yeah, that, the Hashem's part he creates every moment, but not the artist's part, not the carpenter. What the carpenter does is not Yeshmeyayin. Carpenter takes pre-existing material and he develops it. Beautiful. So the musician, you don't need the musician to continuously create. Huh? He puts down the notes. <laughs> he puts down the notes, right? And that's the, the music, so to speak. I mean, it's not the music, but it's the music on paper. And a person who can read the music can go back to that. But it comes from his personality, right? From his personality, from his mind, from his heart, from his experience of the world. He articulates it. That's the art of it. No, the creation every moment is uh, that we say in davening. Everybody agree to that. It says in Medrash Tehillim, it's brought in Tanya from the Baal Shem Tov. It says in Tehillim, 
Le'olam Hashem Dvarcha Nitzav Bashamaya. In Kufyates, Hashem, your word always stands in heaven. So what does that mean? So the Medrash Tehillim says, Dvarcha, your words, Yehirakiyah, are always standing in the heavens, recreating them. It's not that creation happened 5,782 years ago, and God created a beautiful clock, and the clock goes. <laughs> you know, he winded up the clock, and said, gate for 6,000 years, the clock works. For 6,000 years, the clock stops. Where's the clockmaker? Deism, deism. Where's the clockmaker? On vacation. L'olam Hashem Dvarcha Nitzav Bashamayim is the pshat that the Dvarcha Shamarti Yehirakiya is L'olam, it's Nitzav. It, so to speak, stands in Shamayim recreating it. In other words, the Koya Chapoyal has to be in the Nifl. The Koya Chaboyre is in the Bria because the Bria is, is an articulation of the Koya Chaboyre. It's not a separate reality. That's what Yesh Me'ayin means. We keep on comparing Yesh Me'ayin to Ilav Allah, so it's hard for us to relate to it. Yesh Me'ayin means something. The word Ayin is serious from nothing. So it's something from nothing. What do you want should exist? Nothing. <laughs> it's something from nothing. So what exists? It's an articulation of the Creator. If the Creator is here, what do you want should exist? Something that doesn't exist? You have to think about it a little bit. But says you need his bainanus. The definition of the Alul is not the Elah. The definition of the Alul is not the Bayre. The Alul has its own source. You bring it out. The carpenter doesn't create the wood. You need the carpenter to shape it, to bring out its pre-existing potential. One continuum. The yesh mayayin doesn't change after the carpenter made the table. <laughs> right. I'm talking relative to the carpenter's work. It's ilavalo. That's what he asked, yeah. So I use the metaphor from the daydream, because here you have an example. If you don't have the creator of the daydream, you're not going to have the characters there. Why not? <laughs> Why did they all disappear? Where, where, did they, where did they all go? It was so interesting, and we have interesting conversations. And the rabbi finished the sermon, and boom! Puff! They're all gone. The answer is, abracadabra, kadu. They were a creation of your thoughts. The thought is there, they're there. The thought is not there, they're not there. In other words, something from nothing. <laughs> Literally something from nothing. I don't mean mamish nothing, your brain is not nothing. But I mean something from nothing, it's called a figment of, imag- pig- a figment of imagination. So as long as you're imagining them, they exist. That's the, the material. The ma- they don't have separate material. What is the Bria? The Bria is iron. It's something from nothing. So what is it? So why is there a Bria? The answer is the Kayechaboyre. They don't have a reality outside of the Creator that creates the reality. So as long as I'm cre- Hashem is creating the reality, that's the reality. If He stops creating the reality, there's no reality. What has to happen that the world should cease to exist? Give one word answer. What has to happen that the world should cease to exist? The answer is nothing. <laughs> nothing. Nothing has to happen. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> huh? yeah. Nothing has to happen. If some, something big has to happen for it to exist. 
So we have here the paradox. In Ilova Alul, the Alul knows it has a source. The piece of art almost asks for the signature. <laughs> right? Who, who made me? An emotion, he's going to give an example of emotions. Emotions are always Alul. Emotions are not Yeshmeyayin. We think they're Yeshmeyayin. They're never Yeshmeyayin. They come from a certain awareness, right? And if you look at the emotion, it'll take you back to the awareness. It's a beautiful dogma. So Elah Alul, the Alul feels the Elah, points back to the Elah, but doesn't need the Elah. Yeshmeyayin, the Yesh never points to the Ayin. The Yesh says, I am completely on my own, and yet its whole identity is the Ayin. That's the paradox. It requires deep awareness. And that's why the relationship between the Bria and the Bairi is so intimate. It's not like, I want to build a relationship with God. You don't have to build a relationship with God. The very existence is divine. That's what we always say, you are divine. You don't have to create that. You don't have to do tshuva in order to become divine. That is existence. The question is how much I'm aware of it, how much I'm tuned into it. So he says, this is a fascinating paradox. Ilava alul, the alul feels the ilah, but it doesn't need the ilah. Yesh ayin, there's no yesh outside of the ayin, and yet it completely denies it. Yesh is the finite articulation of the infinite. If the finite would experience the infinite, it wouldn't be finite. It wouldn't be yesh. <laughs> For yesh to be yesh, it doesn't point to the ayin. It points to itself. Now the truth is the yesh has the ayin written all over it. But you have to dig. You have to be open. You have to excavate. You have to prove. You know, like the scientist in Israel who showed that the helix of the DNA, you ever read that? Professor Rubenstein. He noticed, right, that the helix, get the, the DNA gets interlocked. Number 10, number 5, number 6, number 5. And he realized <laughs> that God signed his name in the, in, the, in the genome of every living organism. Yud and He, it's incredible, incredible, uh, his gallows. Right? But another person reads it and says, okay, you know, an Israeli professor fantasizing religion, mixing religion into science. Because he decided, you know, Yudke Vavke. <laughs> I once read in the New York Times a few years ago, I forgot what it was, I have to look it up, but something in physics, and uh, there was some very mystical element in physics, maybe you know what it is, and... Uh, and it turned out that it was about the number 137. So they told it to one of the professors. He says, oh, that's Kabbalah. <laughs> Kabbalah is 137. <laughs> so he went crazy. So again, you could dismiss these things as random. Because the yesh is a yesh. That's how it is. So this is the paradox he's addressing. Seichel is cognition. Midas is emotions. You could remain emotional even when you forgot why you're emotional. It is. From Seichel. 
Yeah. Emotions ill. Because awareness doesn't create the Mida. Awareness just directs it. The Mida was there. That's ill of all. Seichel and Midas is ill of all. Seichel is the awareness. And Midas is the sensations, the impulses, the, the body sensation, and the emotions that you experience as a result of the Seichel. It's born from the Seichel. But it's like a child. Mommy and Tati bring you into the world. But that's not your source. Every child has its own pre-existing source. It came out through the egg, it came out through the, through the sperm, but the soul didn't come from, the consciousness of a child doesn't come from the father and the mother. They bring it out. That's why a child can have things that the parents don't have. Even though you have a lot of things from your parents, but you're not defined by your parents. It's an, also an important thing. Elah doesn't owe its existence Allah doesn't owe its existence to the Elah. It's thankful to the Elah for bringing it out, but I don't owe you my existence. Shloisha Shutfin, there's Aviv and Imoy and Sworth, and there's Kabadis of Ichavasimecha. But the Allah doesn't owe its existence to the Elah. The Midah, he says, has its own pre existing reality. You need awareness to direct and harness it. All of our Midahs are rooted in primal primal forces of a person, primal dispositions of a person. Your seichel is going to manipulate or direct or harness how the midah plays itself out. But the core of the midah is rooted in a primal need for existence. It's a very, very powerful idea. So the ilah brings out the alu, but even if the reason is gone, you're still emotional. Because the alu exists independent of the ilah. It always did. The midah has its own existence, you understand? Huh? It's it's how we interpret reality. Let's see. The truth is in a concealed way, in every emotion you can find the idea, but it's going to be concealed. The moment the Mechadesh is not here, there's no existence anymore. Why? Because the whole existence is the Bayre. It's an articulation of the body. That's what yesh, me'ayin, means. It's not that God had pre-existing material and he was a good artist and he fashioned the world and he says, okay, enjoy yourself. That's not the world. The world is infinite energy. The world is spiritual energy. It's not divorce. This was the oimek of Achtus Hashem that the Baal Shem Tov especially articulated that it's not two separate things. It's all one reality. Einoid mulvada. So what's the physicality? The physicality is the way infinity articulates in, us, in itself in a way that my eyes could make sense of it. <laughs> That's what the world is. The world is the way the Ain Saif wants to appeal to my eyes so that we can have a relationship. <laughs> That's what it is. Somebody sent me a line by Albert Einstein, Professor Einstein. <laughs> I was actually surprised that this is a quote from him. Somebody sent me as a quote. I have to research if actually he wrote this, because uh, you can always trust WhatsApp. It's sometimes yesh I in WhatsApp. So you have to know where it comes from. <laughs> but this is a quote somebody sent me a few days ago. Concerning matter, we have all been wrong. What we have called matter is energy, whose vibration has been so lowered as to be perceptible to the senses. Matter is spirit reduced to points of visibility. There is no matter. 
You hear? It's energy, but the vibration was lowered, what we call tzimtzum, to be perceptible to my senses, to my nose and my eyes and my hands and uh, my ears and my, uh, my taste buds. Matter is spirit reduced to points of visibility. This is Albert Einstein. Uh, the gr- matter is the gravitational trap of light. Yeah. yeah. Because EMC, his equation is matter and energy are interchangeable. So that's in terms of scientific terms, energy. But what's the source of that? Spiritual energy. It's just one level higher. So this is a line by Einstein. Now, today, I don't know if anybody argues with this. Max Planck is the father of, uh, one of the fathers of quantum physics. And he once said, we used to think that consciousness is a derivative of matter. Today we know that matter is a derivative of consciousness. So this is all recent decades. If you open up a Tanya that was printed in 1797, published in 1796, 1796, in Shara Yichad Vemun, chapter 3, there's a line, I quote verbatim, if our eyes were spiritually microscopic, and we would look at the universe, we would not see matter. All we would see is divine energy. Quote, end of quote. So when you read that a few hundred years ago, it's like, okay. <laughs> faith, you call it faith. <laughs> Blind faith. But today we have Isis, pushed from a secular perspective by people who don't even claim to be believers. Physical concepts are free creations of the human mind and they're not determined by the external world. Here's another one. It's all connected. A human being experiences himself, his thoughts and feelings, as something separated from the rest, a kind of optical delusion of consciousness. The delusion is a prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires and to affection for a new pers- for a person's nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature in its beauty. Our separation from each other is an optical illusion. When something vibrates, the electrons of the entire universe resonates with it. Everything is connected. The greatest tragedy of human existence is the illusion of separateness. Albert Einstein, and finally one more line, reality is merely an illusion, albeit a very persistent one. <laughs> now, he wasn't crazy. He's crazy, it's not an illusion. But that's exactly... Huh? This is, we're learning a Maimon from 1898, Tafresh what Nantes. What is he saying here? He's saying, yes, intuitively the yesh is a yesh, nobody's arguing. And in the name of that, yes, there's war and violence and narcissism and bloodshed and cruelty and selfishness. Yeah, no question. A lot of evil. And a lot of ego, yeah. The two come together very often, right? If it's an unhealthy ego. But at the core of that is the concealment of the truth. That's why evil and ego don't have real substance. They have a lot of power, but they don't have real substance. And that's why it can't persist for eternity. Why do Jews believe in Mashiach? Because they're crazy? 
No, because they're scientific. Be- because reality, reality comes out. It takes time, but reality. With the word reality means real. How long can you hide a lie? How long? How long? Anybody tried? How long can you conceal a lie? Anybody? Anybody has experience? <laughs> you could for a long time. <laughs> but not for eternity. Everything, every, everybody has their day. Right? Every secret comes out. Every lie emerges because reality prevails. That is its nature. Mashiach really means reality prevailing. That's what it means. It means that the doors of perception are cleansed. That the yesh stops lying about itself. That the curtains get removed and then you say, That's Gula. Make sense to Isaac or not? Doesn't make sense. It's fine. The Vesa Chabrish Maida Fashailas. People think that the Jews, Jewish Amune Mashiach, is some mystical, superstitious thing. One day somebody's going to come on a donkey, he's going to say, Chavre! Free sushi, free tuition, no Shidduch crisis, all is good. Right? Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a primitive idea. The world was created for Mashiach. It says in Medrash. You know the Medrash, yeah. So soyu is Malchus Roimi. And Voyu is Malchus Paras, and Choshech uh, is uh, is Yavon. Echshichai neim shal Yisrael, and Pnei Sahaim is Rome. Edom. V'ruach elakimer achefes al Pnei Amayim zeh ruchay shal Malach Hamashiach. The ruach of Mashiach hovers over all of history. Why? The definition of Geula is to reveal the Aleph in the Geula. What's trying to reveal the Aleph in the Geula? The curtains open up, and the Yesh says who it is. Albert Einstein says. <laughs> There's no matter. We've all been wrong. Matter is spirit reduced to the point of visibility. So the way Chassidus articulates it is, the whole Elam Hazar is divine energy, right? Articulated to the point of visibility. That my eye should say the table exists. My eye doesn't deal with infinity. He wanted that, that, Hashem wanted that relationship with me in my physical being. So what's Mashiach? Just a revelation of what is. That's it. And every year, science comes closer to it. At some point, it's just going to be, you know, you can't lie to him too much longer. How do you know you're learning something true or somebody's selling you a boat? How do you know? (laughs) The answer is as follows. When somebody sells you a boat, every day that passes, you become more uncomfortable. When somebody gives you truth every day that passes, you become more comfortable. Because as reality moves on, things progress. And more truth comes out. That's how it is. Reality pushes to come out. So I could block and block and like psychologically you can repress, repress, repress. But your brain pushes to come out. So if I'm selling you a boat, with every day and week and month passes, you feel more queasy, more creepy. You know what I mean? More suspicious, more weird. 
weirded out, they say. You know what weirded out means? When somebody gives truth every day, it's like, ah, wow, wow, wow. Because you open up more. Truth, the deeper you go, the more you'll see how true it is. The more you remove the, the cover-ups, the more you'll see it, not the less you'll see it. Lies, fakert. The more you remove the cover-ups, the more you see it's a lie. The more you get weirded out by it. That's why when somebody communicates truth, they're never afraid. <laughs> you could dig, dig, dig. Go deeper, go deeper. You know, it's like a shidduch, right? <laughs> Call another hundred people, I don't care. Famous marshal that Rashi gives with the miraglim, right? You want to try out the donkey, try out the donkey. If it's a good donkey, I'm not afraid. Dig, 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 dig. You can dig. What are you going to find? But if I have a thousand million skeletons to hide, call him, don't call him, call him, call him between three and four, because then he's high. Don't call him between five and six, then he's sober. You, you manipulate, right? It's like in a marriage. If something is going on in a marriage, you always have a new story for your wife, right? Yesterday I went here, then tomorrow I went there, then the bank schlepped me, and then Biden called me, and then Trump called me. And then Obama needed me. Every day there's another story. Lincoln once said, if you lie, you need a good memory. An ish MS, that's why if you're losing your memory, just start saying the truth. <laughs> if you're a truthful person, you don't need a good memory to remember. I'm not going to contradict myself. I'm going to say the truth. But you typhus what I'm saying. That's how you know the difference. MS, every day it's, it's mad and mad and mad. And you see it also in history. The Rambam, in his time, his books were burnt. You know that. And even after his death, not by simple people, by big people, the Rambam's father were burnt. Not all of them, the Marina Vuchim, Sefer Ramada, Rabbeinu Yoyna, one of the reasons he wrote Shari Tshuva was to do Tshuva for what he did to the Rambam's father. The whole Shari Tshuva of Rabbeinu Yoyna was written for his own Tshuva because he was such an opposer to the Rambam. But a hundred years after the Rambam's passing, there's nobody today in Jewish history, almost nobody that's regarded with the same esteem like the Rambam, especially in terms of halacha. Never mind philosophy. Right? The Baal Shem Tov. There was tremendous opposition to the Baal Shem Tov, Tremendous. And his students. But whenever it's MS, MS, the more time passes and the lies get emptied out, it comes out more and more and more and more. So sometimes there's a person in his lifetime, right? There's tremendous glory around him, and then as years pass, it becomes irrelevant. And sometimes the exact opposite. If it's an akud of MS, so with every passing year, when more concealment's removed, the MS comes out more and more and more, and then like, wow. So you'll know anything that's real... It's never afraid of time. It's never afraid of uh, archaeological excavations. Because it's true. So we're good. At the core, it's real. On the contrary, if it's a lie, you have to be very careful. That's why real people, they're not nispal from Chitzainius, uh, the rumors, and this one, and this publicity. You understand? Why? 
what's what's that slogan? Am Yisrael lo mefached miderech aruka. What do they say? I think there's a song. No, nobody knows. Whatever. What's the point? You don't get this ball from fads. Fads are fads. Bin yoyim ubin layla avad. You know, you're here today, you're gone tomorrow. What are we saying? Baruch Shomar. Chai ad v'kayim lanetzach. So what's gu'ula? Gu'ula just means that the pnimius of the world comes out. There's no manipulation. When there's no manipulation, everything is ain't soif. So that's it. That's gu'ula. So this is the paradox of creation. You're with me? Everybody's with me or not? Make sense? The only problem is that a lot of people say nonsense. <laughs> okay. That's even worse. <laughs> That's even worse. When you use truth to cover up your lies, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. At least if you're using lies to cover up your lies, nishkeferlich. But I don't know if there was ever a liar who didn't use truth to cover up his lies. The Rashi says the Meraglim, right? Kold var sheker needs a little emes. There's an expression in Zoyar that kushta koi, shikra loy koi, and you always have to put in a little kushta, a little emes into the sheker. Because why? Why? Every lie has truth. Why? Because lie on its own has no base. Sheker ain't like agayim. It has no legs. So you need to give it some yisoid. Some truth will be there. Manipulate it, exploit it. Even communism, we love talking about the Soviet Union. It's one of the biggest lies of history, and it lasted 70 years. It's still lasting. But for 70 years, it was the most, one of the most powerful forces in the world. All based on lies. But there's truth, a little truth. Quality, that's a beautiful truth. We're all one. Where do you get such words? You tell a Jewish 19-year-old kid, yeah? Label Lebronstein, Leon Trotsky, the world is going to be one. It's exciting. Even if you have to murder 20 million people, so what? The main, like somebody was said, what is the one somebody once said? Blut wird sich gissen, aber achtus wird sein. Exactly. A message of Gula in a complete lie that cost 50 million lives, if not more. And destroyed people psychologically for generations, even those who survived. You can ask Russians, Russian Jews. And never mind the millions of Americans who were, who were, who were sold on, on the Soviet Union. Stalin died in 1953. Yeah? Millions of people went by the coffin. They were weeping. They were sobbing. They were sobbing for one of the most evil tyrants in history, maybe the most. They were sobbing, right? You remember when Stalin died? The son, what do they call him? The son of the... I'm telling you, the shkodim, shkodim, shkodim. Bistoifus. So the yesh, essentially, is all iron. <laughs> but he doesn't feel it. Ilah va'olol is independent, but he feels the ilah. That's the paradox of the moment. Let's finish here, the vart. I'm sorry, you wanted to say something? That's why you should stick to the yeshiva.net. That was just a commercial. <laughs> no, no, it's a very important idea. People get manipulated very easily in this world. MS, they hear, this one this one 
And it's nice, it's beautiful stuff. How do you know something is emes? Every day, it feels better. Feels better doesn't mean it doesn't challenge you. It can challenge you, but it, 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 you know it's emes. The more mature you become, the more emes. The more open you become, the more emes. The more healthy you become, the more emes. Sheker is the other way. The more healthy you become, the more sheker. The more sober you become, the more sheker. The more mature you become, the more sheker. The more developed you become, the more sheker. The more confident you become, you realize, oh my God, he sold me the Brooklyn Bridge. With emes, fakert, the more healthy you become, the more emes it is. There's two types of leaders also. There's leaders, if you're weak, they're amazing. They'll take care of you. And there's leaders that strong people, the stronger you are, the more you'll, 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 you'll accept his leadership. You see the difference? One leader is based on manipulation. So if you're broken and weak and fahakt and fadrudult and fawundet, I'll take care of you. Five years later, you become a healthy person. You're like, this is a crazy cult. There's other leaders, they're real. <laughs> They're not here to manipulate. So what happens? The stronger you become, the healthier you become, the more you're, 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 you have reverence. Because it's not based on, on manipulation. On the contrary, it's based on truth, on helping people bring out their, the deepest, their deepest potentials. The difference is one wants to replace your identity and one wants to help you bring out your identity. <laughs> Even if it's not your money, some people don't want money. They want your soul. It's much worse. If you want your money, you want my money. Fine, you're a businessman. Everybody wants your money, you know. Who doesn't want your money? Apple doesn't want your money. Google doesn't want your money. Facebook doesn't want your money. The grocery store doesn't want your money. IRS doesn't want your money. Everybody wants your money. As long as they say it. As long as somebody says, "I'm from the IRS," yeah, gesundheit. If he wants your soul, it's much more dangerous. What did the what did the Melech's Doim tell Avram Avinu? Ten li hanefesh v'harichush kach loch. Take the money. I want the soul. Ten li hanefesh. Give me your soul. Give me your soul. I don't care if you have the money. I want your soul. You know why? Because if I have your soul, I'll have your money too. If I got your soul, I'll have your money. I'm not worried. If I have your money, doesn't mean I have your soul. I told you once the word from the Chidush Shaharim, no? Listen to the Musar of your father and don't neglect the Torah of your mother. So he said, why by your father does it say listen and Musar? And by your mother, it doesn't say listen to the Musar of mother. It says, don't neglect the Torah of your mother. So he says, Torah Simecha is not the Torah your mother teaches you. It's the Torah you learned in your mother's womb. Shma b'ni musaravicha. Va'al titoish, you don't have to learn it. Va'al titoish, don't let go. You don't have to learn it, you know it. Al titoish Torah simecha, the Torah of your mother. And that's not musar, it's Torah. Musar is what I tell you. Torah is what you know from inside. You know it from the womb. I don't have to tell it to you, huh? Say musaravicha is your father gives you musar. Torah Simecha is much deeper. Torah Simecha is the Torah that's in your DNA. When God created you with His DNA, with your DNA, His DNA, that's Torah Simecha. You know it in your DNA. So how do you know something is real Torah? Your DNA says, yeah, I know, I knew this. 
Whenever you hear real Torah, you never hear anything new. You hear something that you already learned in your mother's womb. If you're hearing something new, it's not Torah. It's selling a boat. I know that you could hear new information. You're learning Masechus Ksubis. You may have not learned it before. I'm not talking about the data. I'm talking about the energy. If it's real Torah, your soul knew it already. If it's fake Torah, you never knew it. <laughs> you understand? Real Torah resonates. It may challenge you to your core. It may uh, <laughs> trigger you. That's good. That's the triggers are not bad always. Triggers are sometimes good. It means there's resistance. Adirab. But trigger doesn't mean it doesn't resonate. Trigger means it does resonate. <laughs> That's why it's important for people to trust themselves. I'm now going to say real heresy. We sometimes live in a culture where people are taught the less you trust yourself, the better it is, right? Some of you grew up that way. Never trust yourself. You're evil. Yetzirah is evil. Your brain is evil. Shebi evil. And therefore never trust yourself. Trust me. They always say, trust me. Trust me who you should marry. Trust me how you should think. Trust me. We Trust me on everything. And good people sometimes can get very wounded. There's a lot of good names for it. The main thing is don't trust yourself because you're horrible. I'll protect you. It's not always, I should say this, I'm not, it's not with bad intentions necessarily. Some people mean well. You're vulnerable, and I'll protect you. But that's not the ultimate truth of Yiddishkeit. The only truth of Yiddishkeit is you have to trust yourself. How do I know? God trusts you, for heaven's sake. I'm not going to trust you. <laughs> Hashem created you. He gave you Pchira. He trusts you. So I'm not going to trust you. You're going to become more from than Hashem? Hashem decided you should have choices. I'm going to say, no, I take away people's choices. <laughs> Where do I get such a chutzpah? We have to train people to trust themselves. What does it mean to trust yourself? doesn't mean trust every meshagas. If I'm an addict, yeah, I have to learn how to be very suspicious. All of us have traumas. All of us have our yetzaharas. That's why you need real people to give you feedback. We all have blind spots. We all have confirmation bias. We're all negeb, like we learned before. Sinas chinam. But that doesn't mean not to trust yourself. It means to know how to distinguish between different parts of yourself. Of course you have to trust yourself. Because if you don't trust yourself, you can't serve Hashem. You're like a zombie. You serve Hashem and I trust you. You have to trust yourself. You have to trust your body. You have to trust your soul. You have to trust your mind. You have to have people who support you and give you feedback because we all make mistakes. And we can all have serious blind spots. That's true. But anyone who teaches you not to trust yourself and to surrender, <laughs> run the other direction. It resonates what I'm saying? Oh, they're going to do it anyway. <laughs> they're going to do it anyway. So that's a good question. Not teaching children anything is also teaching them something. <laughs> you have to realize. So that's what Torah Mitzvah says, teaching them what life is about. That's exactly what it is. And it's modeling values that I cherish very deeply and I believe in. But ultimately, children have to choose when they get older. Everyone has pchira. And that's the beauty of it. 
I may, I may experience pain from my child's choice, but that pain is the price of people making choices. Hashem could have created all of us like robots, and we would have been perfect. You know, my computer never sins, you know that. Besides when it gets a virus, and it decides to die. A virus, very good, a virus. I can even program my computer when I walk in in the morning to say, Rabbi YY, good morning, I love you. But it's meaningless, right? But Hashem didn't create us as robots. I have to make choices. You have to make choices. Every day, every moment. That's a gift, that's not a curse. The Rambam says in Hilchus Tshuva Pedek Hey that our closest, where do we reflect Hashem most? In the fact that we have choice. So choice is a divine gift. And that itself I want to tell my child. You're going to grow up, you're going to make choices. And that's the beauty of a human being. Because when you choose, you actually become the most divine. God is free and He wants us to be free. Now of course, choice comes with consequences. And sometimes I could make a choice that I'm pained about. And sometimes you could make a choice that I'm pained about. But the way to help is not by uh, eliminating from a person the ability to choose. It's from inspiring, from modeling, from being connected. So if there's a lifestyle, Torah Mitzvahs, the divine blueprint for life, is a life that's filled with goodness, with morality, with proper boundaries, I want to bequeath that to my child. In a way, though, that the child can be touched by it, can be affected by it, not in a way of coercion, in a way of modeling. And there comes a point when your child reaches a certain age that control anyway doesn't work. Right? People have to realize that. It's not easy for people to realize. You could force your seven-year-old to do something. But remember, if the whole reason he's doing it is because you're forcing him, there's going to be a day where you won't be able to force him. Maybe when he's 13. 13, you'll still force him. You're going to threaten him not to make a bar mitzvah. Fine. But 14. 14, you'll still force him. But 50, <laughs> there's going to be a point where he's going to say, Tati? Genig, right? What do you do then? What do you do then? So fakert, if the relationship was based on coercion, at that moment it's going to be very bitter. Because when he detaches, he's going to go very far, like a rubber band. You pulled it too hard, when the rubber band flies, you ever did with a rubber band? You ever played? Huh? You ever tried to hurt your sister? When you pull that rubber band very hard, you know what happens? As long as you're holding on to it, beautiful. But at some point the rubber band is going to pull away, and it's going to go very far. Be careful. Doesn't mean you shouldn't hold on to the rubber band. Of course you should hold on to the rubber band. But you want to hold on to the rubber band and embrace the rubber band and encourage the rubber band and inspire the rubber band. I don't mean to call children rubber bands, but you get my point. Makes sense what I'm saying? So I want to be, the mitzvah of chinuch is a moiridika mitzvah. What's the mitzvah of chinuch? The mitzvah of chinuch is to inspire and infuse your children with avas shamayim, with yir shamayim, with avas atayra, with avas Israel, with values that you believe and you see are blessed values to live by. But the focus of this education is that it should become yours. It should be something that you will own, that you will, will one day make your own. Because if not, what am I giving you? 
I'm just telling you that I want this. That's not going to be enough. I want you to want it. Shetahe shall have us oila me'eleha, Rashi says. Everyone fetches the Alpidarkai. But l- listen to the Pshat of the Pasik. Make sure you educate him in a way that when he gets older, he's going to continue. <laughs> How do you do that? <laughs> if the whole model is, this is what I want, and I don't care about you, fine, but I do care about me, so have a good day. You heard of Rabshlaim Kazviller? Somebody once asked him, How you mechanic your children? So he said, learn from how God created the world. Watch a chicken with her eggs. That's what he said. <laughs> you ever watched a chicken with eggs? A chicken lays an egg almost every day, right? If you let Mesech the Beit, so if you spend time in a farm. From that chick, from that egg, if the egg was uh, fertilized by a male, a new chick is going to come out, right? It takes 21 days. She has to sit on the egg for 21 days, three weeks. Benamitzarim. <laughs> She sits on the egg for three weeks, and then the chick comes out. She has to warm the egg. If she doesn't sit on it, the chick won't be able to develop. It's going to freeze. Unless you have an incubator today, you can do it through incubators. But the way Hashem created the chicken sits on the egg. If the chicken sits hard on the egg, what happens? Cracks. If the chicken remains removed from the egg, it doesn't warm. So what does the chicken do? The Rebbein Shalem gave the chicken feathers, like a mink coat. So the chicken doesn't sit on the egg. The chicken hovers over the egg and the wet, the feathers warm the egg. The exact amount of pressure that the egg should feel warmth, but not too much pressure that the egg should crack. So Shlem Kizvila said, study chickens and eggs and you'll know how to educate your children. <laughs> huh? Gehet? You have to warm the egg. And you can't warm the egg if you squeeze it. Because then it cracks. There's nothing left to it. Some eggs crack. There's no chick. There's a dead chick. You have to warm it. So the chicken said, no, let me just let the egg do its own thing. If you let the egg do its own thing, a chick won't come out. We live in a difficult world. We live in a, in a, in a challenging world. That's why chinuch is so important. Most important thing, I want to help my child understand himself or herself. Understand how to deal with their emotions, how to deal with their conflicts, how to deal with their struggles. That should be a major part of education in schools and yeshivas. In the early years, in fact today, you don't need school so much for information. Information you have much more outside of school. Right? What you really need school is attachment, and learning how to deal with yourself. Of course, information also, but but you want to help children learn how to deal with themselves. <clears throat> how do we get into this? Ah, the chinuch, the chinuch. Let's just finish the paragraph. Mamish two minutes. V'nim tseyesh b'zabeiz inyanim hafchim shu b'pchinis richu ka'erech. So now let's conclude. So Yeshmeyayin has an incredible paradox. On one hand, there's a Richu Ka'erech. Richu Ka'erech means there's a remoteness where the Yesh doesn't experience the Ayin. The Ayin creates the Yesh in a way that the Yesh doesn't feel it. 
On the other hand, they can't get closer. <laughs> the Koyach Eliki is constantly recreating the Nivra. <laughs> So as I said earlier, the Medrash teaches that your words, you hear a kia, stand in the heaven. The nekuda of yeshmeayin is mechayev. It brings out both elements, the paradox. The paradox comes from one nekuda, that it's yeshmeayin. Because it's yeshmeayin, on one hand, for the yesh to exist, the ayin has to be concealed in the yesh. Because if the ayin would be manifested in the yesh, what would happen? <laughs> There'd be no yesh. It would just be infinity. On the other hand, for yesh mayayin to happen, the ayin has to be not just intimate with the yesh, but the ayin is the yesh. He says, Nekudas yesh mayayin mechayev shneim. It's mechayev. It, it, it brings out the paradox. That's the nekudah of yesh mayayin. On one hand, you would think it's so remote. On the other hand, it can't get closer. Ilav Alul is not like that. Ilav Alul, the Alul feels the Ilah. You know why the Alul feels the Ilah? Because the Alul won't get nullified by feeling the Ilah. Because the Ilah is relative to the Alul. If the Yesh feels the Ayin, there's no Yesh anymore. <laughs> if the Alul feels the Ilah, there's an Alul, because the Alul pre-existed there before. The Yesh could only exist because the ayin is concealed. The alul can exist with the revelation of the ilah. Why can the alul exist? It's like emotions and awareness. It's like the apple tree and the seed. It's not a steer to the seed. It's a development of the seed. On the other hand, because of that, the ilah doesn't have to be close to the alul. The ilah can even disappear and there's still an alul. Yesh ayin is a gewaldika paradox. Yotofus, what he's saying, Yesh the paradox. If the ayin was present, there's no yesh. The mitzias of the yesh is that there's a richok, there's a helam, not like the ilava Allah. Because the whole mitzias of the yesh is the ayin. And if the ayin gets revealed, so it's all ain't safe, there's no yesh. So the yesh requires the ayin to be, on the other hand, if there's no ayin, there's no yesh, even for a second, every moment the yesh is kol kula yesh mayayin. Huh? How do you deal with the paradox? So the Rebbe Nishma Seydin is saying here that this is Bainanus. He says, he started off, This is what creates Avodah Hashem with Simcha. Why does it create Avodah Hashem with Simcha? Because it takes the darkest moment and turns it into a moment in which there's absolute intimacy. There's no such a thing as distance. There's no such a thing, you're distant, you're alone, you're neglected, you're abandoned, you're remote. It's not just God is holding your hand. It's much deeper than holding your hand. It's your very, very experience is divine. There's no detachment. It's not two separate realities. All the characters in my daydream, they're all me. <laughs> Nobody is separate from me, ever. There's no separation. Those guys in my daydream are me, that's me. <laughs> It's not separate. There's no separation whatsoever. What do you mean? I'm a yesh. <laughs> that's exactly the nekuda. And that's why there's no separation. The, the, put it this way. The degree of concealment represents the degree of closeness. It's so far because it's so close. Because, because there's no yesh outside of ayin, so if the ayin would be revealed, there would be no yesh. 
because there's no yesh outside of ayin. But because of that, the ayin is always making the yesh. Again, because there's no yesh outside of ayin, so if the ayin would be manifested, if the ayin would be manifested, there could be no yesh. Because there's no yesh outside of ayin. End of Arkazah. The yesh is ayin, it's a lakus. So if the ayin would be revealed, <laughs> as ain't served, there's no yesh. So the ayin has to be completely concealed. On the other hand, there's no yesh outside of ayin. So the ayin is open, creating it, me'ayin le'yesh. So he says, oi, zois yesh baza ployus. This is the pell of yesh me'ayin. This is the bri, how the bri works. So the moment you're experiencing your yeshes, meaning your separateness, what is that really? All you're really experiencing is the kaya chabayre to recreate it every single moment. Uh-huh. Okay. Have a beautiful day. Bezer Hashem will resume tomorrow, seven, Tuesday morning, 7.45 a.m. And tomorrow, 9.30 a.m. will be the women's class in this room. You could tell your wives or daughters or relatives. Thank you. Have a beautiful day. So he says, emotions is ilava alu from Seichel. That's it. We don't make Yashmiyayan. We make Yashmiyayan. Hashem makes Yashmiyayan. The world is Yashmiyayan, the whole existence. As I daf men hafen. Ebnishtes amaltragish abia. Akin mitatate. The kin is alamo verbunden mit den taten, aber der tate will der kin soll sein selbstständig. A father who wants his kid to always be dependent on him. So we have fegele in the nest. What does it do to the chicks? Go fly. After a few weeks, get out of here. Why? I want you to have wings. Imagine a mother says, no, 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 you stay in the nest, I'll take care of you. That's not a mother. A mother sends her out. Go here, give you, take your wings and fly. I'll help you, I'll encourage you. They need encouragement. The first time they jump off a cliff, they fly. But they, but they have to go. Lech lecha. Gotta go. Bifnei rabbi, Avanda, skashros, covered. Bittel. Fakert, emesereb. As if the moyach with the goof, state. Tanya pedig bays, give a cook. Das dirt is the marshal for a kid with a tatten. But what's the function of a moyach? To, con- to, to, to turn the body into a robot? Fakert. That every chalik of the goof should function. The hearts, the fist, the hand. Das is the success of a moyach. Not that everybody should be paralyzed and I'll do everything. Fakert. <laughs> That's not a good brain. So I'm a sugar The moyach wants everybody to bring out its kaychas, b'milua. That's a real moyach. Fakert, azar rebbe, is the asach agresor a bitl. Well, so emes. It's not a maybe a bel zavart. She says in Prikayavis, moyre rabach k'moyre shamayim. Yeah? You know the title, I said it. The clip went viral. The murder that you have from your Rebbe is going to be to the same degree of his murder, Shemayim. It's not a, it's not a mitzvah, it's a prediction. You know how much year you're going to have from your Rebbe? Exactly to the degree, how, how much year, in other words, it's like a mirror. His year of Shemayim will be mirrored in your year of him. 
if he's full with Yer Shemayim, you'll be full of Yira. Because then it's not Yira from him. It's Yira Shemayim. It's, 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 it's a mirror of Yer Shemayim. If his Yer Shemayim is Abyssal Azoi, your Yira from him is going to be exactly the same. <laughs> it's a very powerful vart. Because it explains why Meirad Abach Kamer Shemayim. Why Meirad Abach Shemayim was his Deibishter. No, it's good, but whatever his Yer Shemayim is. <laughs> If it's Yer Shemayim, it's Yer Shemayim. They'll be Meirad Abach. If not, not. That's it. You don't have to worry. It'll come out. First taste. Shtet in Teres Chaim, the middle of Rebbe Shreibt, Alosh in Teres Chaim. Yira ha-pnim is Shehoye Yitzel HaBal Shem Tev. Yeah? Zakti dat Shehoye me'ein Yiris Mashiach. He's mafed the Yiris Shemayim from the Bal Shem Tev. So uh, the Yiddish Shemaim is going to be by Mashiach in the time of the Gula. That was the Yiddish Shemaim of the Baal Shem Tov. When somebody has that level of Yiddish Shemaim, you, you feel it. So you have a Yiddish from him. Because it's not Yiddish from him. So Hashem Olekecha Tira L'Rabbis Talmidich HaChamim. Atshabar HaBakiva, yeah? Chidish HaBakiva. B'stoifus. You can't make these things up. Or you have it or you don't have it. You can't force somebody to do it. Be afraid of me. Unless I'm a tyrant. If somebody's a dictator, then you could force people to be afraid of you. But if not, either they have yid or they don't have yid. You know, be afraid of me. Fine, it's not... Uh, Ava too. But I'm saying even yid. Real yid you can't force. Unless it's dread, pachat. Right? The Vilna Gon writes, the Altarebbe writes it also, and the Vilna Gon also writes it. So he says, there's melucha and there's memshala. A moishel is a dictator, a dictator. A melech is malchusoi b'rotzen kiblale. If you don't coronate a melech b'rotzen, he's not a melech, he's a moishel. He may rule with an iron fist, but he's not a melech. It's a different name. Ein melech b'loi am. Malchus is something that you have to be chosen b'rotzen. If you're not chosen, you'll always know. If people didn't want you, you're never a melech, you're a dictator. And that's why dictators are so insecure, because they know that they're not leaders. So they go crazier. They go crazier to control everybody because they have to compensate for the void of feeling that they're not leaders. They're fake. They're fake news. So they go crazy. They'll suppress every, every iota of independence because, because they want to prove to themselves that they're leaders and nobody disagrees with them. And the more they do it, the more empty they feel. A melech is fakert. He's a real leader. He probably didn't even want it. They wanted it. <laughs> they wanted it. He didn't want it. Moshe didn't want it. Vayibre shurin melech is Moshe, yeah? The Rebbe didn't want it. Right? Also, it says about the Baal Shem Tev. You know, the letter, yeah? The Baal Shem Tev was told by Achia Shiloini because he did something wrong, he's going to get a punishment. What's the punishment? That he has to be revealed. <laughs> For some people, that's not a punishment. <laughs> for some people, they'll fight with their brother, they'll kill the whole world to become Rebbes. But for the Baal Shem Tov, it was a punishment. <laughs> he didn't need it. Moshe, they, they don't need it. I don't need it. He didn't need it. He didn't need the validation. He didn't need the cover. He didn't need the real estate. So why should he be a Rebbe? <laughs> it was a punishment. You understand the difference? It's a different Indian. You can't fake these things. Somebody came to speak to me from a particular Hasidic community. 
So I asked him, there's over there, there's, there's two rabbis. I asked him where he goes. So he said he sends his kids to, uh, to this particular one. I said, why him? He tells me, because he's a gangster. And today you need to be a gangster. And I'm thinking to myself, so you're sending your kids to a rabbi and you're calling him a gangster. It was very sad. Huh? What? And I felt bad. He didn't even realize. I'm saying it's pathetic, you know. That's what he feels. I don't know the reality. I'm not judging. I'm just saying I realized that, you know, it's a different level of a rebbe and a different level of a chassid. <laughs> okay. Tzloch This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.